Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Nordea Markets Insights podcast. Today we're here to talk about emerging markets. Is the worst behind us? And we have to talk about that. Aurelio Gurite, who is our Chief FX Strategist, and Anna Svensson, who is our Chief EM Analyst. Welcome both. Going back to the original question, is the worst behind us? I would say yes. We have been arguing that part of the reason that emerging markets was hit really badly last year was a combination of China, the Fed, and falling commodity prices. Now, China seems to be cooling off a bit. The Fed hike expectations are almost gone, and commodity prices have started to increase at least uh, to some extent. So yes, I would say the worst is over for emerging markets. Anders, if you look at the emerging markets uh, foreign exchange, for example, if you take a broad emerging markets uh, FX index, you see that uh, emerging markets are up 10% from January lows. Many people still say it's short covering, you know, it's a short term thing, it's, it's not lasting. What is your view on that? I think that could be some short covering to the recovery in emerging market FX as well. But the correlation with commodity prices is really high, at least for the commodity part of the EMFX space. So if you argue that short covering is part of the reason that oil prices have recovered, then you would also implicitly argue that short covering is part of the reason why EMFX has, has recovered. I think there's some short covering to it, and there's obviously also some supply and, and demand uh, to it regarding oil prices and also regarding EMFX. Personally, I think that uh, a lot of emerging markets' weakness we have seen so far or until uh, recently has been due to the weakening of their domestic economies. But now, over the past couple of months, we have seen the uh, economic surprise index from emerging markets actually picking up. Is there any bright spots in, in economies of these hard-hit emerging markets? Do you see any improvement ahead? I think the economies will also, to a very large extent, depend on the development in commodity prices. I think, again, commodity prices was one of the main reasons why a lot of emerging market economies were hit as hard as they were last year and to some extent also in 2014. If you look at at oil again, then emerging markets produce 80% of the world's oil production and, and consume 50%. So that leaves a, a huge net export on, on part of, of emerging economies. So the terms of trade has been hit, uh, the production has been, has been hit. So I think that if commodity prices uh, normalize, whatever that means, I also think that uh, we'll see further recovery of, of emerging economies. And that I think we haven't really uh, seen the beginning of. Yes, the economic surprise indices have, have come back up, but we have not seen a lot of big institutions starting to revise up their forecast for, for emerging economies. That could be ahead of us if, if commodity prices continue uh, higher. 
Uh, true, Anders, you mentioned commodity prices up. If, if we look, for example, at China steel prices, we are almost back to 2014 uh, levels. If you look at other commodities like iron ore, back to mid-2015, oil prices back to $43 per barrel. So, you know, you mentioned that this is a big driver for emerging markets, but do you see it the other way, that actually emerging markets or stabilization emerging markets is driving the commodity prices? Do you see any feedback loops there? Yeah, I think there's a, a clear feedback loop. One of the things that uh, that I've thought about, at least for, for the past couple of, of years with falling commodity prices, is that what actually happens when emerging economies cannot sell their commodities or rather when they get a lower price for the commodities that they sell, they actually get fewer dollars. And what is it that they normally use those dollars for? That is for investment in like production uh, capacity, in in um, commodity production, um, in all the things that they can buy from our part of the world and use in their own part of the world. And in that way, there's actually a quite strong correlation between commodity price developments and emerging markets imports, even in volume terms. And I think that could actually be related also to this weakness we've seen in, in the manufacturing sector across the world. It's not only about emerging markets. Yes, manufacturing has been weak in China, but it has also been weak in the US and also been weak in, in the euro area. And after commodity prices started to, to recover uh, this year, we've actually seen a few months now with manufacturing PMIs in, in most of the world, but also ISM in the US, starting to, to recover. So yes, I think there's, there's clearly also a, a feedback loop. Uh, so basically, Anders, what you are trying to say is that contrary to what many thought a couple of years ago, rising oil prices would be good for risk sentiment and good for world's economy. Isn't that so? I think it's good for the emerging economies, at least. I'm not so sure about whether it's good news for, for the rest of the world. Uh, I still think we could get a, a huge growth impetus from, from the current low uh, oil prices in, in our part of the world. But I guess that's a, a different discussion. Anas, would you like to spend a few words on Brazil, which is not a country that makes of oil export its uh, core? And yet will we have seen a few glimmers of hope, you might say, in the past few weeks? I think uh, part of the improvement in, uh, in the currency, at least in the Brazilian real, has come from commodity prices. Not so much for, from oil, because Brazil is actually a net importer of, of oil, but from commodity prices in, in general. Um, and it's rather clear that Brazil, or the real, was one of the worst performing EM currencies last year, and it has been one of the best performing uh, EM currencies uh, this year, and, and part of that is, is coming from commodity prices. Another part, I think, is coming from hopes that uh, the president will be impeached. There's an impeachment process going on, and it seems more and more likely that she will end up being uh, impeached. And is that good news or bad news for for the economy and for, for the currency? I think it does not matter a lot. I think it matters much more what her um, the, the president that will follow, what uh, what he will do. And at the moment, it will be the vice president that will just take over as, as president. Does that mean any changes to the economic policies? I doubt it. So I actually think that we could be in for some disappointment in 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 Brazil, both in terms of, of the economy, which is already really, really weak, but also um, from 
the FX side where hopes have have started to, uh, to 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 grow a bit and maybe also a bit too much. So you don't think that we're going to see a uh, change in sentiment as we have seen in Argentina in the case of Brazil? If the new president in Brazil does the same as the new president in Argentina, I mean Argentina is really a fantastic example, I think, of what politics can do when it's uh, it's done right, or at least I think there's a. a fairly big chance of success in, in Argentina. Argentina has issued uh, bonds uh, this week for the first time in 15 years. Much oversubscribed. Also that. They will be able to pay out their pay their, their holdouts. Of course, they also have a, a lot of problems, but at least they have removed a few very, very big stones from, from the road. I really don't see the next president in Brazil being able to do the same. But of course, I can be I can be surprised if the next president is able to generate the same sentiment as in Argentina. Then yes, this will be a huge event. If not, I think that the markets have gone a bit ahead of, of themselves. I don't know if you agree with that, Aurelia. Well, yes, I agree. The only thing I can say that well, Brazilian real is very very undervalued currency relative to fundamentals. But of course, political risks do play a role. That being said, I, I think, you know, when they say, the saying is that when the wind is strong enough, even turkeys can fly. So I think that, you know, if we get the tailwind from commodity prices, no matter what happens politically in Brazil, it will actually be beneficial. And, you know, Brazilian real could go further. Remember, I think it's from 2000 and, uh, uh, 2014 has lost uh, what more, more than 50% of its value still, you know, even given the 12% recovery we've seen this year so far. So I think there is room for more uh, if we get the right tailwinds from abroad. During the rounds of commodity currencies, uh, where do you see that there is uh, the biggest chance of a upswing? Well, you know, if, if you look at the major uh, commodity currencies, I still think, you know, Norwegian krona is very strong, you know, given the surplus they have on the current account, even the central bank has actually been able to uh, to maintain the price stability in, in, in the definitional uh, sense of it. And I think that, you know, it still is a performing, okay, performing economy uh, relative to other economies. Uh, I would avoid, even though I have been advocating long uh, Australian dollar, uh, I don't think as a long-term investor, uh, you should be putting all your money in that basket because I think, you know, China is not out of the woods yet. Do you agree, Anders? What what do you see coming from China in the coming years? Yeah, I, I completely agree. There will be huge challenges uh, from from China. Of course, it's, it's no secret that they will uh, have a lot to do on the uh, heavy industries and, and other parts of, of the industries to reduce overcapacity and that obviously leads to, to, to lower growth. It is also no real really big surprise that they will need to to take away some of the stimuli at some point we are going ahead with full speed on the economic policy front in in china fiscal easing and monetary policy easing and also to some extent on the uh, on the fx side obviously that cannot uh, continue so there are challenges uh, ahead I'm not really like seeing a collapse in, in China. I see it much more as a, a development where growth will, will slow and maybe it will also slow more than most of us uh, expected. It already did. I think not a lot would have said 6% growth uh, three, four years ago, but we're already there and we could be in for even lower growth in, in a few years, but I, I don't really see, see the collapse. But in total, is it good or bad for 
for demand for, for commodity prices and therefore good or bad for, for commodity currencies. I think just the fact that China stabilizes is good enough for, for the commodity uh, side, at least in the short term. In the longer term, of course, it de depends on a lot of other factors, also the efficiency of the use of commodities in, in China. But uh, in the short term, I think stabilization in China is enough to, to bring commodity prices a bit further. That's also our baseline uh, scenario. We still see uh, oil prices going a bit higher uh, towards the end of, of the year. So I think that stabilization you're talking about actually was the key reason why we've seen the dollar CNY going down around 2% this year. But at the same time, if you look at the basket, CNY basket uh, against other trading partner currencies, you see it's actually down 3% this year. So do this divergence, do you think it will you know, continue? Is it what China wants? I think they are saying that they're looking at the basket, but in reality, they have to look at dollar CNY. And that's because after they did the FX regime change in August, there's been massive capital outflows from, from China. And that outflow has actually been driven by Chinese people, Chinese people taking money out of, out of China. And I think it will be very, very difficult for the Chinese central bank to argue against normal Chinese people that the currency is strong or weak against some basket they will be looking at the dollar value. For that reason, I think that the central bank simply needs to look at dollar CNY. And for a period until capital outflows have completely stopped, they will simply need to let the CNY strengthen against the dollar. Yeah, but I think it's, uh, you know, it's uh, paradoxical, but it looks like it's a win-win situation because U.S. wouldn't allow the uh, CNY to, to weaken, you know, for, for competitive reasons. And, you know, if CNY weakens against a basket of currencies, uh, but not against the dollar, then U.S. is happy and China is, is kind of happy, right? They need some easing coming from currency. But don't you think that it is actually accidental that the CNY has weakened against the basket, that we have actually seen... China only looking at dollar CNY, looking to have a slightly stronger CNY against, CNY against the dollar, but just they have had the luck that the dollar has weakened in general against mo most other currencies. Well, you can call it luck or you can call it just improvement in global risk sentiment. Historically, we've seen that dollar is weakening whenever, you know, risk appetite is, is strong, whenever commodity prices are rising. So I think, you know, it's, it's no surprise to me that dollar CNY as well as other dollar crosses have come down. So it is a dollar story. I do agree with you. So, you know, taking this dollar angle, do you think that, you know, U.S. Fed still is the biggest risk for emerging markets going forward? Depends on how it is priced back in. I think we've now seen two major shocks to emerging economies. We first saw the tapering talks where U.S. Treasury yields increased a lot. And for that reason, emerging markets were sold off. Then we had a period where the dollar strengthened a lot and emerging markets sold off. And we actually had a third even where commodity prices fell a lot and emerging markets sold off. So to the extent that the Fed cycle is being priced in, in a very short term, like generating a huge increase in treasury yields, or a strong increase in the dollar, then it will have an impact on, on emerging currencies. I think there's a general tendency that when something moves a lot, then correlations to that instrument increases. And for EM, that is usually uh, on, the negative, on the negative side. So it, it really depends on whether you believe that the Fed can 
manage expectations going forward and actually normalize monetary policy without triggering a huge increase in treasury yields or a much stronger dollar. Yeah. So I would turn that question around. Yeah, you know, if you ask me, for example, many people say that, you know, if Fed hike is priced back in, it will be a huge risk to, to risk sentiment and, you know, we'll see a repetition of the past. But, you know, I think that the markets are learning and, you know, the shock that we received last year, the year before, this will not be the same shocks we will get in the future. And if you look, for example, now at uh, the, how the market is trading, for example, global equities against the short dollar yields, you see that, you know, whenever the stock market, stock price is going down, the U.S. short rates are going down and, and vice versa. So, so, you know, the U.S. Fed has made it clear that, you know, we will not hike as long as the global risks are there. So in, in that sense, it, it becomes kind of they will not move until those risks are there. So they will move when they see that the world economy and risk sentiment are strong enough to sustain that. So I don't see it. Uh, uh, well, the Fed uh, hike back price back in as a big risk to emerging markets. To me, I agree with you. It's probably commodity prices that will be the key, big uh, trigger. And that's a big unknown, at least in the short term. And then I think also China. Because now we, we talked about this uh, trade weighted versus the dollar CNY, but in the very, very big picture, China needs a floating exchange rate. That is because of the uh, the impossible trinity. So if they want to open a capital account, which they do, which they need, because debt in China is too large for them to manage, they need foreign capital coming in, they need to open the capital account, then they will need a floating exchange rate. And I basically think that that was what they tried in August. They just didn't realize that it would lead to a massive capital outflow. So the next time they will try, I think they will do more to prevent at least the Chinese from moving capital abroad. And again, we don't have that much capital in China to actually sell. I mean, it's mostly FDI. We have invested in China. It's still not possible to make a lot of portfolio investments, so you cannot really take that out. And also in, in other investments part, it, it's not that easy actually to take money out of China. So if the Chinese central bank is able to, to manage expectations against the Chinese people, then they might actually be able to allow the currency to float without triggering massive capital outflow, without selling treasuries, without having a huge effect on, on the dollar. And then we might not really care whether the Xinhua is 2 or 3% weaker or stronger. I agree with you. It's it's you know it's always the initial points or initial shocks that really matter for markets, and then they get adjusted, adapted to it, and then just the life moves on. Remember the first taper when the talk started, the markets reacted before the taper came. First taper came, the second one nobody really cared, right? So same I think will be with China. They will just gradually weaken the currency, and then nothing uh, markets will not uh, care so much as they used to. But hey, we covered now Asia, we covered a little bit of Latin America, coming back to, to Europe. Poland used to be uh, oasis of you know political stability, but a uh, couple of last few years have changed the picture. So, you know, should we buy, should we sell Polish lottery? What are the risks here? I'm very concerned uh, about the political development in Poland after the election last uh, last autumn. The new government seems to have uh, have taken a really big turn towards being an emerging market again, in the sense that you have politicians that do things that you say, okay, they might they might might threaten to do that. They might talk about it in an election campaign, but they will not actually do it. And in Poland, they they just did. And what we're talking about now is 
converting Swiss franc mortgages into Polish lottery denominated mortgages. Something that the banks will have to pay for because the conversion will be done at the initial exchange rates. And most of these uh, loans were taken before the global financial crisis. So that's a long way from, from the current uh, market exchange rates. So a loss, total loss from converting these uh, mortgages that compares to like five times the profits of the entire banking sector last year. Way too large bill. And I think they are reconsidering the bill. They have talked about spreading these costs out over 20, 30 years. They've talked about having the central bank there to help find a way to do this. But it doesn't change the fact that the bill is simply too large. And I think that's a huge risk for, for Poland. Uh, I mean, the economy is doing excellent. The labor market developments in Poland over the past 10 years have been extraordinary. I mean, the, the economic outlook there is, is fantastic. But if you, if you reduce the bank's capacity to actually support continued high growth, I mean, that's, that's not good. So a huge risk there, and we still don't know the details. I would be uh, be slightly bearish uh, on the on the slotty. Okay, Anders. Then let's try to translate into you know trading opportunities. I remember three years ago we had long Polish slot against Hungarian foreign test trade over here. Two years ago I think we had the same. Next year, would you reverse it? Would you now be short Polish slot against the Hungarian foreign? I think most out there are long hoof versus uh, the slotty because of the political risks in Poland. But the fact is that the political risks are just as big in, in Hungary. We've just had the government in Hungary for some years now, and they have already done a lot of the same things. They've already converted the Swiss franc mortgages. They've already made bank taxes. They've already offended more or less everybody else in, in the EU. And now it's it seems to be Poland's turn to do exactly the same. But I would basically... Stay a bit cautious on that cross, but I would uh, I would find an, another cross that is less politically sensitive. Okay, trying to look for another cross, then going a little bit further from Central Europe, Russia and Turkey. How would you assess those as you know trading opportunities? But Russia is 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 recovering. I think commodity prices are coming back up, and especially of course oil price, which which is the one and only uh, commodity price for 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 Russia. So. I think the economy is gradually stabilizing, the ruble is uh, strengthening a lot, uh, and if oil prices continue higher, then the ruble will continue strengthening. In Turkey, uh, we have a central bank meeting today, actually. Uh, there's a new central bank governor. I think today's meeting will be extremely interesting in kind of how will this new central bank governor balance between this huge political pressure to ease monetary policy further and the economic reality. And you can say that his predecessor didn't manage to hit the inflation target any of the five years he was in office. And I guess that most doubt that the next governor will either. But could he turn even more dovish? Could he be even more under political pressure? Then I think it will be actually a negative for, for, the, for the Turkish lira. So I would definitely, in the short run at least, favor the ruble and the commodity price story over Turkey and the the political uh, risk story, which I think is is fairly general for, for Central and Eastern Europe. I agree with you. Looking in general at uh, people who are positioned in commodities, it still feels like the pain is coming through. It still doesn't feel like we are 
over this, you know, recovering commodity prices. So in the, at least in the short term, it can continue. Yeah, and if you look at oil prices, we are very close at a 200-day moving average. I guess uh, there are still people out there that look at the at that kind of uh, of indicators. So I mean, if we are one two dollars per barrel higher uh, at the end of this week, I mean, where where would you see uh, commodity currencies over the next one two months? I think that commodity currencies will continue strengthening. I think, you know, nothing will change uh, big time. I think the recovery we're seeing in manufacturing, you also mentioned uh, the continued recovery in China figures, or at least stabilization, uh, will be very supportive. So 2 to 5% stronger commodity currencies broadly, I think that's that's my baseline. What about you? Do you yeah, agree? And I think that is also the baseline for, for EMFX and uh, especially the, uh, the commodity side of, of EMFX. You could also say that uh, that part of the currencies that have not performed so well this year is some of the or are some of the EM currencies that people have been positive about, like Mexican peso, like uh, the Indian rupee. They probably didn't weaken as much as EMFX in general last year, but it also means that they are not strengthening as much as the other EM currencies this year. So maybe that's uh, somewhere to be a bit uh, bit reluctant, and then I would also still be a bit cautious on the Asian currencies because of the CNY. But on the commodity currencies, I completely agree with you. So if I get you right, Anders, and if taking a bird's view again, and regions, uh, Asia, Europe, and Latin America, you would stick to Latin America? For the short term, for the commodity recovery story, yes. I well, would. I can only agree with you on that one. Strong bullish message to finish us off. Thank you both for giving us this uh, very interesting podcast. Thank you for discussion. Thank you.